It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome back. It's the World Soccer Talk podcast, the only podcast that focuses on watching soccer on TV, online and apps. In episode 89, we feature an exclusive interview with Stu Holden about the UEFA Champions League coverage on TNT, how Manchester United and Bayern Munich won't have their Champions League matches on US television, talks about the UEFA Champions League, uh, the final being played in the US of A, our thoughts on the first week of UEFA Nations League matches, and we have a bunch of letters from you listeners in our mailbag section. My name is Christopher Harris, aka The Gaffer, and I'm joined today by my co-host, Kartik Krishnaya. All right, Kartik, so what we've been watching this past week, so a lot of soccer, uh, definitely, it was international break, but we had everything from UEFA Nations League, we had friendlies, and... Uh, USA, Mexico friendly, of course, was one of them. USA, Brazil, lots of matches. Um, first of all, in terms of the UEFA Nations League, I know you watched a, a few of the games, as did I. What were your impressions in terms of the level of play? Um, hmm, that's the question. I mean, I think the Spain, the Spain England game was very intense and had the feel of uh, of a competitive match. It was at Wembley. Uh, the France Netherlands game at times felt competitive, at times felt like a friendly uh, or maybe a World Cup qualifier, uh, an early stage World Cup or Euro qualifier. Uh, Italy Poland had a very kind of, um, I mean, there was an intensity around the match. I think just because Italy has been on such a such a bad run of of, of results, such bad run of form, they were looking for a result. I have Spain. Uh, Croatia on my DVR, which I still want to watch because of the two sides involved. Also, uh, John Champion and Craig Burley calling the match. Uh, they have a great ke- uh, chemistry, and obviously we interviewed both those guys uh, very recently uh, for this show. So I- I'm still looking forward to seeing that. But I think what I would say is the intensity level has been higher than a friendly. Uh, limiting the substitutions because they are competitive matches has impacted that. Is it at the urgency level late in matches that um, – a World Cup qualifier would be at or or a match in a, a major tournament? No. With the exception of the England-Spain game where England was desperate for an equalizer, uh, and obviously there's controversy about Danny Welbeck's uh, disallowed equalizer, mm-hmm. the, the goal that was chalked off by Welbeck. It seems like it's higher intensity than a friendly. There's more at stake than a friendly, but it's not um, 
you know, it's almost like I, here's the best analogy I have as an American. It's almost like the Gold Cup in those off years where the, where um, the national teams are also trying to qualify for the World Cup. There's a Gold Cup tournament, like last year's Gold Cup tournament, 2017, 2013, 2009, mm-hmm. that take place right in the middle of World Cup qualifying. And it had the intensity of those Gold Cup tournaments. They're still competitive matches. You still want to watch them, but there isn't the sort of commitment level and intensity that you have in a World Cup qualifier, in a Euro qualifier, or certainly in a major tournament. Yeah, and we have to remember too, this is just the first week of the UEFA Nations League. So as with uh, other tournaments, other qualification tournaments, uh, it usually takes a while for, I mean, the, the later you get in the stages of, of competitions, qualifying competitions, uh, the, the, the more nervy and the more intense it gets. Um, but overall, I, I was impressed. I mean, I, for, for me personally, as a soccer fan, I probably was more interested in the matches than I, I usually would be. Uh, I didn't hear as many complaints about the international break as I usually do on, on social media. Uh, I watched uh, a bunch of games. I mean, the, the Wales-Ireland game, for me personally, was the standout highlight uh, on ESPN+. And, uh, I mean, Wales won this match 4-1. I mean, a really <clears throat> impressive performance by Wales and Ireland were just uh, caught flat-footed. And, and Ryan Giggs, um, as a manager, did a fantastic job in terms of uh, really pushing a really high-paced uh, passing, one-touch passing, lots of movement, a really attacking style of football uh, from Wales, which is not what we've been accustomed to in the past. Uh, one standout player, for sure, out of all of them was uh, Ethan Ampadu, uh, who's, uh, I think he's on loan or he's one of the Chelsea boys. Uh, but here he, he started the match and was uh, man of the match, in my opinion. Just a fantastic uh, midfielder there. Uh, I think he's only 17, so show, showing a lot of, pro- lot of promise there. Uh, Italy-Poland, you mentioned that was a very nervy game. It- Italy overall this past week, Kartik, I think for me personally has been a really interesting watch in terms of where they are, the level that they're at. Uh, I mean, post-World Cup, not having qualified. And now we see, okay, is this Italy as bad as we thought they were? Uh, they are. I mean, they're, they're really in, in, transi- yeah. in transition. But even playing the game, I mean, just very slow, very methodical, um, really kind of a, a playing style that seems lost in international football or lost in international fo- football that's actually uh, productive. Yeah, uh, they were absolutely dire against Poland for the first 60 or 65 minutes of that game match. Uh, and even after they got the equalizer from a, a somewhat generous penalty that was called, uh, they just didn't ever look like they were going to win the match. It, it, ha- it felt like uh, the Sweden match and then their, their match against Portugal, similar. I mean, they had the same sort of um, the, the same sort of look of, of, of a team that's able to maintain uh, possession in between the thirds. But in the final third, there's no end product. There's no ingenuity. There's no creativity. Uh, and and it's, uh, it, it's quite revealing now because I think we're in a long, long-term dip for Italy, which, was, um, which has been masked by uh, Conte putting together that 3-5-2 and getting them uh, deep into the Euros in 2016. I think this dip really began um, realistically. I know some people point to, to Euro 2008 and World Cup 2010. I still think they were solid at that point. They didn't play well in that 2010 World Cup. But I would say it started right after the, the Euros in 2012. So we're talking about a longer-term dip. 
than even the Dutch are in. Um, now, speaking of the Dutch, let's, let's address them. Um, I watched them against France on Saturday, I believe it was, on, on Univision Deportes. Good broadcast. Very, um, it seemed like a partisan French broadcast because France um, is the world champions and Univision wanted to take advantage of that, their first match back at, back at home since winning the World Cup. But uh, the Dutch, they had some flashes in the second half. Ryan Babel got his first international goal in 13 years. Uh, but they just – they're another side that looks like a sped force um, uh, with the exception of the early 80s. When you go back to the early 1970s, the Dutch have always had this conveyor belt of players coming in um, and really like young, exciting players that you get fired up about to, to the point where 10, 10 years ago now, 12 years ago, and now Marco von Boston decided, okay, I'm not going to take Yopstam or uh, the DeBoer brothers or Sadorf or, or Clivert. Um, or Edgar Davids to, to, to a World Cup, I'm going to go with a lot of young guys because we have that, that kind of quality in, in, in our young ranks. And they got out of the group. Um, and then they you know, were very good in the Euros two years later. Uh, it's just not like that anymore. I, uh, so the Netherlands and Italy continue to be stories. Um, if you think it was just because of one manager or uh, one bad qualifying cycle for both of them, uh, that's that, uh, for the Dutch now too because they missed the Euros also, uh, that's not the case. I think both uh, traditional uh, powerhouses and two, two nations have been so much to this sport um, are, are really down right now. What's interesting for me, Kartik, is that uh, you have essentially what was friendlies, what were friendlies, which were these uh, international games between, say, you know, Italy and Poland and Portugal and Italy and, and, and so on and so forth. Now that you've got them in, in a, frames, a frame of uh, UEFA Nations League, they have more meaning. So, for example, just, just for me personally, and this is not for everyone, but this is me personally, I was paying more attention to the UEFA Nations League this week than I was to some meaningless friendlies, which would be USA against Brazil and USA against Mexico. Now, a lot of listeners were probably going like, wow, USA against Mexico is a meaningful friendly, uh, or it's even not a friendly, it's, it's a, a grudge match, whatever it may be, however you look at it. But to me, still, at the end of the day, it's a friendly and in both of these matches, I watched the first half, so the USA and Brazil game, and uh, it was 2-0 to Brazil by the end of the first half, and it was game set and match, and uh, I, I switched it off. I, to me, I had no interest in watching the second half, uh, I had no faith that the US would bounce back and win it 3-2 or anything like that. It, it, just, it was just pretty one-sided. Same thing, well, actually different for the US-Mexico game, and I watched the first half of this one, but really just a completely... Unimaginative, really, lack of creativity, a woeful performance from the US. And actually, Mexico, too, didn't look that good either in the first half. And I was completely bored and switched it off and uh, caught the highlights of the goal uh, later, I think, the next morning. But but it's interesting, just the, the whole you mean, meaningful versus uh, not meaningful and how the UEFA Nations League, to me at least, uh, to me now, carries a lot more importance than just, just regular old friendlies. Yeah, I, I'll admit, I probably wouldn't have watched any of these matches. Maybe England, Spain, that's it. Uh, or if it hadn't been, uh, if they had been friendlies, uh, because we're used to friendlies, and even England, Spain, maybe I went to watch, because we're used to friendlies between uh, big European powers in these dates anyway particularly coming after a Euro or after a World Cup before qualifying begins. Although actually qualifying would have begun this time. It would have been one of those 
um, windows where you have one qualifier and one friendly, and, and it would have been the friendlies would have been rather meaningless to watch. So yeah, I, I completely agree with that. I paid attention to these matches because of this. Um, the USA uh, situation on Friday, they played Brazil, as, as you mentioned. Uh, I, I can't watch Fox, especially for US games. So I watched uh, Univision. Univision was uh, propaganda, right? It was it was Mexican, just Mexico, Mexico, Mexico from 7 to 7.40 Eastern time. Uh, they had Mexico Uruguay later in the night. Then from 7.40 to 8, it was um, all USA, no discussion of Brazil. USA Brazil was played. Brazil beats them. Uh, U.S. had some moments in that friendly. The U.S. looked better against Brazil than they did against Mexico. Against Mexico, they looked—I uh, mean, the first 30 minutes of the U.S.-Mexico game was the was embarrassing. The worst the U.S. has looked, even including World Cup qualifying, worst the U.S. has looked in years in a, in, a, in a down period for the U.S. That's how bad they were. Uh, forced substitution. Uh, Weston McKinney gets injured. Saracens forced to put uh, Julian Green on, which. Um, Hey, when there are injuries, sometimes you make the wrong substitution. You made the right substitution, changed the game. The U.S. were much better from that point forward, but there was still something very lacking uh, in that. But back to the back to the broadcasting uh, aspect. So Univision, we know, is very big into pushing Mexican narratives. But uh, my understanding is that they're uh, and I watched the pregame show, and then I didn't watch the, the, uh, a lot of the bridge coverage between the two matches or. Uh, halftime of the Mexico-Uruguay game, but my understanding is that there was very little conversation about Uruguay, who uh, throttled them 4-1. Right. It was about Mexico, how bad Mexico's kids look, etc., uh, etc., cetera, et cetera. how good is this guy going to be, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, simultaneously, I was watching the Portland-Seattle NWSL game, uh, Chris, which was a fantastic match with a great atmosphere. Um, a bigger, better atmosphere than anything in, at the international level this weekend. I, I, I felt so. That it's, was. Uh, well, it's, it's, it's just a shame that that was at the same time as the U.S. Uh, Brazil game, though. No, no, it was at the same time as the Mexico Uruguay game. Oh, the Mexico Uruguay later that night. That night. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, but that was that was very very uh, solid broadcast. Uh, Jen Hildreth and Ali Wagner, uh, Dalen Cult again, uh, usual usual team with Lifetime. Uh, Lindsey Horan was just off the charts good. So was Tobin Heath. For Portland as they as they won that match, um, uh, but the USA coverage. Let's 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 talk about this for a minute, Chris, because um, I I hope you saw the pregame on uh, Tuesday on ESPN. I missed it. Okay, so I don't know what happens on Fox. I don't watch Fox particularly when they show the US. But to me, just and again, you know, if our listeners say Fox was great and they were hyper critical and they were making nuanced points. On Friday, let us know. Uh, Tweet at me at KKFLA737 or or, or write to us. Uh, But ESPN was so good in their pregame show. I mean, um, Hercules Gomez was hitting uh, theme after theme about the coaching situation, the inability to hire a coach. Are we really going forward if we hire an MLS guy? Um, The the Jonathan Gonzalez subject came up. Gomez said, out. And I think Max Bredos was really taken aback. Casey Keller was kind of defensive about it. Um, Gomez said the word, basically used the word, they lied to him. They lied to the kid, the U.S. Soccer Federation. Um, and that was a pretty big deal. And then you had uh, Taylor Twelman very clearly cl- calling out Major League Soccer and player development in the United States and uh, in, in conversation with Ian Dark in, in the lead into the match and about how there just aren't enough quality U.S. men's national team eligible players um, 
in attacking positions in Major League Soccer and that two of the top 21 goal scorers in the United States uh, in, in Major League Soccer, only two of them are U.S. men's national team eligible. I'll point out one of them came up uh, is uh, Dom Dwyer, who is who is English, was born in England, moved here to uh, to go to college, the University of South Florida. Uh, so he you can't uh, he obviously can play for the U.S. and, and uh Glad that he's uh, been naturalized, but he's not someone you can say we developed, right? You know, we lucked into him, more or less. Uh, so there, that means one, which is Jaya Cesardis, of the top 21 goal scorers in our top domestic league. Um, Twelman wanted to make that point. Uh, Gomez wanted to make that point. It created a lot of conversation, a lot of buzz on Twitter and on social media. Again, Chris, um, I and maybe I'm wrong because I'm not watching Fox, but I think we generally know what they talk about on Fox. And these are points that would not have been raised there. And actually, I know they weren't raised there because I'm on Twitter during the, the, the game and pregame. And I don't see the kind of conversation we do when ESPN uh, has U.S. games. It is unbelievable to me that Fox and ESPN can have the same national team, the same product they're viewing, and their commentators view it completely differently. Mm-hmm. And from my perspective, and I think the perspective of most people that are grounded in some sort of reality, the ESPN perspective is much more... Uh, realistic than the Fox perspective. So to me, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing. It, for, for me, Kartik, it's, it's the difference between Alexi Lalas and Taylor Twellman. And, and I, I don't agree with everything that Taylor says. And I don't, I certainly don't agree with everything that Alexi Lalas says, but Lalas seems to be all about the hot takes. And, and to me, it, it's, it comes down to almost a level of trolling. So whether it's on social media, on, on Twitter or on television, he seems to be, I, I don't even believe, I don't even think he believes some of the things he says, but it's almost like as if he's just saying things just to be a point of contention and uh, maybe contrarian at times, but very much rah-rah USA. And also, I think the difference, honestly, between having Max Bredo's host and, and, and Rob Stone. <laughs> right, right. There's, I think that's a the, significant Well, there's definitely that to it. There's definitely that that also. I mean, the, the Twelman, and the Twelman seems to be more thought out, kind of does more of his research and uh, shares a point but goes into detail about it and, and is more believable, more authentic versus Lalas, who at this point in time, I mean, my you mean, estimation of him in terms of uh, even the quality level of, of his analysis has gone way, way down in the last like two to three years. Yeah. And here's another point. And, 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 and that's the big difference, I mean, for me between Fox and ESPN. Yeah. And here's the other big difference. Fox does not have anyone in their studio, uh, in co-commentary, in um, their soccer coverage in general of the United States that has Hercules Gomez's experience of uh, having to fight through uh, uh, not being in an elite youth program, having to fight through being in our second division, USL, uh, to get to Major League Soccer, having to fight through being a low-salary player in MLS and deciding to take an offer in Mexico in Liga MX. Uh, to have to fight through being on the fringes of the national team and, and come up uh, into into uh, uh, the core of the national team where he made a World Cup roster. So I think it's also perspectives. Uh, Gomez has a unique perspective about the system and how the system leaves people behind and how the system doesn't identify our best talent and how uh, it, the administration is uh, that a lot the guys – who are and a lot of the, the the co-commentators and studio guys at Fox are quite good from where they sit, but they just don't have that perspective. They can't offer that level of analysis that he's able to offer. And it, and, and the same for Seb Salazar. They don't they don't have a guy like Sebastian Salazar who understands. Uh, I think every kind of nuance within within you know the, the little micro things right, within struggles. the bigger picture. 
right? Exactly. And and the sad part about all of this is is that uh, Hercules Gomez was for a short time. Uh, working for Fox Sports as one of the analysts, I think, uh, on, on a freelance basis. Fox had the opportunity to hire him, uh, and they, I, I think Hercules never heard back from, the, from them. And ESPN, the, the opportunity <laughs> with ESPN came up, and he's like, okay, yeah, I'll, I'll go with ESPN. I just don't, don't know how to react to that, because how do you have a guy of that level that you, don't, that you don't engage, he's been on your airwaves, and you don't at least try and make an attempt right. to bring on board? Again, this is why I think some of us have so many concerns about Fox, Chris. Do they have an agenda in who they hire and how they present uh, the, the, the discussions around the U.S. men's national team and U.S. soccer in general? That's a good, that's I a good to, question. I, I, I think they're just incompetent. I mean, at the end of the day, I think they don't know what good talent is. And they might hear someone saying certain things and go, yeah, that, that makes sense. And, yeah, he, he sounds like one of us. I mean, I mean, to, to me, Hercules Gomez, he's, he's Latino. He fits an ideal demographic. He's bilingual. Same with his, uh, Seb Salazar, too. Here are people that you mean, could, could actually bring in a whole new audience uh, you mean whether it's whether it's Anglo's or, or whether it's uh, Hispanics, whatever it may be. But here's an opportunity to bring in a, a new audience to bring in, you I mean, to authentic coverage. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, so that, that's interesting, though, Kartik. I, I did miss the pre-match for ESPN and Fox. It would have been an inter- interesting contrast. But we can pre- we can predict <laughs> exactly what's going to happen. We know that. You I mean. We'll, we'll, hopefully, some of the viewers can clue us in, but um, listeners can clue us in. And my understanding is, okay, uh, sorry to cut you off, Chris, but my understanding is just want to get this in about the post game. Uh, I didn't, again, I didn't watch Fox, but I was told that uh, Fox kind of talked, highlighted the uh, the good moments for the U.S. against Brazil, and uh, you know what promise there is. The post game on ESPN was Taylor Fulman basically saying, "Okay, the U.S. got a result; they won, but I, I can't, I don't have any confidence taking this team, this particular set of players." into a gold cup without a Michael Bradley, without a Josie Altador, without a Christian Pulisic and expecting to win uh, or even be competitive in that gold cup. So that's, again, the difference between Taylor Twelman and the guys on Fox. They win on ESPN. Twelman is still being very critical and saying, hey, uh, we won, but this wasn't good enough. This needs to change. The midfield needs to be better. There needs to be more creativity. There needs to be a little bit more ingenuity. I I should give Ian Dark credit too because he's also during the broadcast – uh, not cheerleading, but making some very good points and leading Taylor Twoman into some of these discussions and post game. Um, on Fox, my understanding is it was, oh, you know, here, look, look at how good some of these young players are. It's a work in progress. Everybody was under 23. Uh, this team's going to be great in the future. So, again, I mean, it's, it's almost like they're watching two different, uh, completely different sets of players when they're not these two networks and, and, the, and the commentators at the two networks. ESPN has the pulse of the American soccer community. So they, they know what the soccer fans are, the frustrations that they're seeing and having. Uh, they understand that really kind of intimately versus Fox that lives in a bubble that doesn't really understand what's going on and is just looking at the business numbers, the metrics, and uh, is kind of listening to Major League Soccer and, and making sure that, you mean. The MLS is portrayed as being very strong, and US, is, U.S. soccer is kind of a very positive image, um, and is completely oblivious 
to everything else that's going on. That, that, that's my take on it. I mean, and again, that's the great thing about uh, competition, though, Kartik, in, in this uh, industry is that we have ESPN broadcasting some games and we have Fox broadcasting others. It might be the same in England in the past where you have BBC doing some England games and ITV uh, doing games. Maybe the differences were uh, similar or, or maybe they were, they were completely separate. I'm not sure, but uh, it is interesting for sure. All right, Kartik, let's move on. Uh, before we move on to TV streaming news, I do want to mention our sponsor, which is SeatGeek. Football is back, and SeatGeek is the smartest, easiest way to get tickets to every game all season long. Whether you're searching for a last-minute deal, planning the night out, or need the, to find the perfect gift, SeatGeek helps you find the best seats at the best prices, fully guaranteed. There's nothing quite like being there in person, and SeatGeek will get you closer to the action for a great value. Now, SeatGeek is designed to make your ticket buying experience easier than ever by searching multiple ticket sites and grading every ticket based on value. SeatGeek helps you immediately identify the best seats that fit your budget. Plus, every purchase is fully guaranteed, so you can shop for tickets on SeatGeek with confidence. Best of all, my listeners get $20 off their first SeatGeek purchase. Just download the SeatGeek app and enter promo code WSTPOD today. That's promo code WSTPOD, one word, for $20 off your first SeatGeek purchase. Now, Kartik, let's move on to uh, TV streaming news and some interesting developments this week. Yeah, so uh, obviously World Soccer Talk has been all over the UEFA Champions League, um, the start of the group stage from uh, TNT and Univision. I think it came as quite a shock, Chris. This week, when um, or actually late last week, when we saw which matches TNT was showing Tuesday and Wednesday and which matches Univision Deportes was showing. Uh, there's some separate games on Galavision, but Univision Deportes was showing and there's the same matches because unfortunately in the group stage, sometimes we forget this. There is usually one or two standout matches a day and the rest are like, ah, eh. although you kind of enjoyed through the years seeing those on Fox Sports regional networks or ESPN Deportes or wherever. But um, this is something that we've talked about or speculated about now for well over a year. Would Univision show matches that were behind a paywall on Turner? Um, at least in the first week of the group stage, they're showing the same matches over the air that Turner is, which means you better go out and get Bleacher Report if you want to see some of those other matches. And now, I should mention again, there are a few matches on Galavision, which not a lot of people get uh, that channel. But um, uh, if you don't have the Galavision, you're going to have to get uh, Bleacher Report live. Yeah, or you can get um, Univision Deportes, the app, which you can get through Fubo, or you can, you can authenticate through Fubo or through... I think DirecTV um, and some of the cable companies too. So, the the big yeah, this is this is this is a huge predicament, uh, Kartik. It's, it's a dilemma, really. What it is is because this week, well, this coming week with the Champions League first round, you have teams such as Manchester United, Bayern Munich, um, and others that are not on television, right? Which is huge. I mean, I, and, and that's. I guess there's so many different storylines here. One storyline, Kartik, would be that um, the rise internationally of so many of these of these teams. So in the past, perhaps maybe say ten years ago, you look at England and you say, okay, Manchester United, n- number one by by far. Uh, the other teams are smaller. Uh, but you've had the, in the past ten years, you've had the rise of a Manchester City, who are now on Galavision in the game against Lyon. Uh, so then the Manchester United game between uh, Young Boys and Manchester United is on is on streaming. That's it. 
So if you want to watch that one, then you got Bayern Munich against Benfica. Uh, that game's on streaming. That's not on television. And again, Bayern Munich, ten years ago, I mean, in the United States, I mean, they're still big, but ten years ago, uh, I mean, tons and tons of uh, German fans and Bayern Munich fans. Um, but then you've had other teams ri- rise up, kind of. Uh, not, not, I mean, rise in prominence such as well, like Atleti, Atleti, you mean as, as one example, or PSG, yeah, PSG, yeah, yeah, perfect yeah. example. And, and that's why I think it, it stands out that the PSG Liverpool match is on both Univision and TNT. Logically, today in this day and age, that's the match you put on if you're TNT. But five years ago, uh, it wouldn't have been. Uh, Ten years ago, it wouldn't have been. It would have been like ah, oh, that that's a Liverpool playing just a French team. Of a, right. And uh, as you mentioned, Man City, Leon's at the same time. That's the Galavision game. So that's essentially the number two game. Uh, you wouldn't think about that. You would go with uh, the United match against Young Boys uh, or, or some other match. Yeah. Another example, too, is uh, Inter Milan against Spurs. I mean, 10 years ago, Spurs were you know, a decent side. Uh, now they're one of the top teams in England. And that game is on Galavision. So and then at the same time, again, there's other teams that are not, I think, uh, Dortmund. Actually, no, Dortmund. Yeah, Dortmund is not on television either. So it's, um, it's challenging. So if you have Bleacher Report Live, you're all set because you get access to every single game. Uh, if you have Fubo, Fubo has access to Galavision, uh, Unamas, uh, Univision, Univision Deportes, and TNT. So you would get all of the games that are televised as well as access to the Univision Deportes app that you could log in uh, into with using your Fubo login. Uh, other than that, um, it's tricky. I, at the end of the day, Kartik, to me, the biggest losers in this, other than Manchester United fans for this one one week, are the pubs and bars in in this country, the ones that uh, you mean will be showing all the games and you mean working with the supporters groups because some of them might not even have Galavision, some of them might not have some of these channels. Uh, and in the past, you would have been used to. I mean, it's always FS1 or FS2 or or Fox Deportes. So that that's another thing there too. It's um, what I w- would suggest to listeners is definitely do your homework. I mean, go to uh, worldsoccertalk.com. We've got the schedule. We've got some uh, uh, advice and information and links, and etc. how to make sure you can get to watch your games because uh, this is a huge change. And I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people complaining and saying, like, hey, this is this was so much better before when we had Fox. I mean, at least with Fox, we knew that uh, the games would be on either FS1 or FS2 or Fox Soccer Plus or on Fox Soccer Match Pass. Um, this is uh, this is going to be tricky, Kartik. I think there's going to be a lot of people complaining next week uh, once they find out and didn't do their homework and find out exactly what's going on with the uh, the TV schedules. All right, Kartik, so this is big news also, and uh, whether or not this will happen, we'll have to wait and see. But speaking of the Champions League, there have been talks about hosting the UEFA Champions League final, uh, a future one, in New York City. Now, this is according to uh, an executive at MediaPro, which is a, a broadcaster in Spain. And they said that uh, uh, discussions are taking place over about moving the, um, the final uh, outside of the continent for the first time. He says talks are ongoing investigating the feasibility of hosting a future Champions League final in New York City, uh, he said on, on a radio show. Uh, this Kartik, I could see happening, especially if this La Liga match in January happens between Barcelona and uh, Girona in Miami. Um, 
I that opens the door for a whole bunch of things, and I could see a UEFA Champions League final being in New York City uh, in in the future. What do you, what do you think? Yeah, I, I think you're seeing uh, football authorities really kind of uh, put their foot down about the the Hirona uh, uh, Barcelona match uh, that's coming to Miami in January. Not because of that match specifically, although there was a lot of excitement about that match also because of the Catalan angle and, and, and the reported planting can out Spanish flags at the match uh, where in the middle of uh, a time when two these are two Catalan teams, uh, Catalanian teams, obviously Barcelona and Girona. Uh, but uh, in order to prevent something like this from happening long term, right? They're, they're, they don't want the precedent being set. So it's going to be interesting to see how the fight over La Liga in the United States continues to play out, uh, how... Um, UEFA, um, UEFA, who who are not in favor of it at this point, FIFA, who are not in favor of it at this point, and CONCACAF, who are not in favor of it at this point, how they might pivot if this possibility is actually on the table, um, which is a much bigger deal than hosting a, a La Liga regular season match, although it's still a pretty big deal um, in the United States. So uh, let's see. I think this, this, there are a lot of moving targets here. Opposition can soften. I'm not saying it will. But opposition can soften as uh, things are incentivized for the, the uh, governing bodies. So for listeners out there, don't just assume because you see Infantino make comments when he goes to visit President Trump at the White House that, hey, I'm against it. I want uh, everybody in, in the U.S. to be watching MLS. Don't assume that there isn't something going on behind the scenes where FIFA just wants some sort of concession from La Liga or from those clubs or from whomever relevant sports in order to, to approve it and then open the door for this. Um, things are not always as they appear publicly. So we'll, yeah. we'll keep an eye on it. Watch, watch this space. The, the big question, Kartik, I have, which uh, I don't think we can answer this time, is that if these talks are happening, are they happening with some or are they happening with relevant sports or are they happening with somebody else? I mean, in terms of moving the Champions League final, a future one, to New York City, uh, because that has big ramifications too. And obviously the, the Barcelona-Girona uh, uh, league match, if it does happen, that's been uh, going through relevant sports, which is I mean, International Champions Cup, uh, uh, the company that actually runs that. So that'll be an interesting development too to see if, if it does happen with the Champions League, I mean, which, which path they go down. Now, Kartik, uh, let's move on to the, the next news item. Yeah, and we talked about this, what, 15 months ago when... Um Univision started streaming these Liga Mekis matches on uh, on uh, Facebook. Uh, uh, they are now facing uh, legal action uh, for for showing these uh, matches on Facebook. Uh, uh, complaint filed by Dish Network says that, uh, and I quote: uh, "These matches are a major viewing attraction for Hispanic American television audiences. One might compare it to the National Football League." Uh, uh, English language audiences in the terms of the interest it generates um, and. Uh, and so they have uh, uh, filed the lawsuit, uh, and this will be interesting to see how this plays out. We we talked about this, if you remember, Chris, the week they started these broadcasts, that this could be a possibility. Uh, it took 15 months or 18 months. I, I can't keep track, but it, it was a while ago. It wasn't last season. It was the season before that we, we first raised this issue. Uh, and now uh, it's going to be litigated. Yeah, and Dish uh, owns Sling TV, it, and and that's right. really kind of the the thorny issue is that uh, I mean for Univision to go have these games 
uh, Liga MX games uh, on Facebook at that circumvents uh, Sling TV and other streaming uh, providers that are providing you mean streams of of the legal uh, the actual Univision uh, Liga MX. Uh, broadcast of the game so you can go to Facebook for free and watch the game so why would you sign up with Sling TV and and I guess it comes down down to uh, the contract that Univision has with Dish Network uh, which includes Sling TV and what it says in there in terms of what they can and cannot do so yeah that is moving to um, moving ahead with the lawsuit and uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens because that could have again big ramifications not just on Liga Mackies and Univision and, and Dish and Sling TV, but uh, all, all streaming when you think about it in terms of um, uh, Facebook uh, kind of undercutting uh, the whole operation there. All right, Kartik, let's move on to TV uh, ratings. And uh, some big numbers out this past week, of course. Uh, we had uh, anytime you have a US Mexico game, uh, it's usually big numbers. And uh, Tuesday night's broadcast was on ESPN. That one had 827,000 viewers uh, for the 8.30 to 10.30 broadcast on ESPN. The last time that these two teams played each other in a friendly was April 2015. And in that game, USA against uh, Mexico, that game averaged 806,000 viewers on FS1. So, uh, so the number has increased for this one um, through ESPN. So that's good news. I do have the the Spanish language numbers. Okay, and those numbers. Uh, Univision delivered 2.3 million viewers uh, wow. for Tuesday night's broadcast and um, making it the second most watched Mexican national team match of the year on the Univision networks uh, there. So the you got what? Uh, 2.3 plus uh, 800,000, so uh, all in all, over 3 million viewers for USA-Mexico, Kartik. That's uh, pretty decent. Yeah. And it's interesting, too, because like, actually a lot of people on Twitter were saying like about the ESPN number, saying, okay, this goes to show that uh, things are progressing and U.S. soccer fans are now kind of getting more back into the U.S. Uh, team and, and uh, the morale is increasing and, and things are getting better. My thing is, is that you don't know how many of those fans were actually Mexican fans watching it on ESPN, who were either English speaking or bilinguals. So uh, just taking that one number and saying, okay, well, that's that's attributed to U.S. soccer fans. Um, that isn't the case anymore, I don't think. Then the USA Brazil game on uh, Friday on uh, FS1 had five hundred and twelve thousand viewers. And then on Univision Deportes uh, had 364,000 viewers. What that number does not include is uh, if that game was also on uh, Unamas or on Univision, the over-the-air network. So we'll get those numbers uh, soon. Uh, last but not least, um, Italy against Poland on ESPN2 on Friday. That one had 132,000 viewers for that match, which was uh, during office hours from 2.45 to 4.45. So still still a pretty decent number there for uh, a UEFA Nations League ma- match. Yeah, and the higher numbers than the Bundesliga has been getting in that time slot or uh, the championship, well, championships on ESPN plus now, but higher numbers than you get typically for the club matches, if maybe league own match on on VN when they have Friday matches uh, in that time slot. So that number is not terrible, actually, the 132. Yeah, and you have to think, too, that in terms of Italy, it's probably, in term, talking about morale again, Italy, uh, the fan, Italian fans' uh, morale is probably at the lowest level for, I mean, all time. So yeah. uh, a lot of people are probably not tuning in into that match. But, uh, but yeah, still, still a decent number. 
All right, this is the mailbag. We've got a bunch of letters this week. Uh, first up is Jeffrey Allen. He says, I do like Ian Joy doing Bundesliga commentaries for Fox. Last weekend, however, I watched uh, Frankfurt against Bremen on FS2. Uh, Fox made use of the World Feed commentary for this, and it was most enjoyable. Fox should consider this more often. Good po- podcast, guys. Uh, next up is Ted S, and he says, My ISP is Comcast, and my TV provider is DirecTV. Don't care much for either of them, but I'm a Serie A fan, and I can't sympathize with being sports. Perhaps if they would have given us more variety when there were some big Serie A games, rather than uh, jamming Barca and Real Madrid games down our throat, things would have been different. Now they're being squeezed out by two monopolies. Ironic when you consider they were doing the same thing with the monopolizing of their La Liga coverage over everything else they had rights to. So, I mean, my take on this, Kartik, is that uh, at the end of the day, there's by far, I mean, probably times like what, like 10 uh, or, or more, by far the viewing figures for any Barcelona-Real Madrid match are going to trump any any match in Serie A. Uh, yeah. So there's a far more interest in, in La Liga matches. So in Ted Ness's case here, if they went ahead and actually I mean, uh, broadcast more when they had the rights, uh, Serie A matches on a Sunday afternoon instead of a Barca-Real Real Madrid game, uh, they would be able to, I mean, it'd be holy hell. It would be just, I mean, so many complaints and, and people calling and protesting. Co- correct. But I think there's also, we have to go back to when BN acquired some of these rights when they first set up their channel in the United States, that there was some concern that they were acquiring too many soccer properties and monopolizing things and did not have the kind of distribution networks to, to, for excess capacity for, for additional matches to distribute them, be it online or through some second, third channel that, uh, that, that, that ESPN has and that uh, that Fox has, that NBC has, et cetera. So um, I kind of see both sides of the argument. I have a lot of sympathy for um, BN and, and, and what's going on right now. But at the same time, I understand why there were fans of Serie A in particular who have been unhappy with BN for six years, the six years they had the rights to the league, seven seasons, actually, um, who, who uh, uh, no, no, sorry, it was six seasons, um, who say, you know what, uh, uh, they, they're not that sympathetic because BN made it difficult if they had a property and they had simultaneous events going on to actually watch that the thing that they had bought. Um, yeah. That, that having been said, they usually made the right programming decisions based on what ratings they were going to get. It, it, it's difficult too, Carter, because like this this person here, Ted, has Comcast and uh, DirecTV. Actually, Comcast for his ISP and DirecTV for his television. So... He should have had access to BN Sports, um, both BN Sports and BN Sports in, in Espanol. Uh, and then he would have had access to BN Sports Connect. And through BN Sports Connect, he would have been able to watch every single Serie A match. So there's no, no complaints about not, not uh, catching a match. Uh, he, t- he would just have to take an extra step. But having said that, I think BN Sports' biggest mistake since they launched, like what, seven, six or seven years ago, is the BN Sports Connect product is absolutely garbage. Uh, in order yeah. to actually use BN Sports Connect, if you're using that, that streaming service directly, having putting in your DirecTV subscriber login details, um, it's, it's a piece of garbage. It uses Silverlight. It's really kind of a really clunky, hardly ever works. Uh, and really kind of for BN Sports, I mean, a lot of listeners, me, myself included, 
the best way to experience being Sports Connect still is whether it's through Fubo or whether it's through Sling TV or through other other means, but using other uh, streaming platforms to access the streaming games from from being Sports through being Sports Connect. So, so I, I can see both sides where fans could get upset. At the end of the day, there were options out there, and there are continu- continuing to be options out there where you can watch almost every single game. Um, so it's it's a two way street in some ways. Shell Walker says, uh, I just listened to the podcast and uh, heard the listener question about South American leagues. I'm not sure if you know this, but Netflix is showing a mini series about about uh, Boca Juniors starting this week, I believe. Love the show and keep it up, guys. I also miss Fox Soccer Channel 2. Awesome shows like the Hyundai A-League highlight show, Football Asia, and the uh, J-League uh, highlight show. And the best was Fox Football Phone-In. So, yeah, definitely some uh, good memories of times um, back in the day on Fox. Anthony Bello says, hi, guys, I'm listening to your interview with uh, Antonio Breseno. I think most fans may be looking at this with your heart and not your heads. The most important property being sports has La Liga. In two years, the being contract with La Liga is up. La Liga has hired a new media agency to negotiate the new contract. The new company has a current relationship with ESPN and had a relationship with Fox via the ICC. Um, the president of La Liga has already started to talk to media companies about the new contract, a contract they're expecting to get at least double the, the current rights fee for. You have to figure that some of these conversations had to do uh, had to occur with both NBC and Turner Sports. NBC and Turner are owned by Comcast and AT&T. And again, you have to figure people in the programming departments are telling the people in, in the distri- distribution department that La Liga is probably leaving BN. And Anthony goes on and on. Um, it's a good point. I mean, it's one of those things that, uh, and we talked about this in the interview with uh, Antonio Braseno last week, where the relationship with Comcast, you have Comcast, who is a content provider, and they're also a TV provider and distributor. So they they're got their hands in several different cookie jars, and uh, they have a lot of influence. They have a huge amount of influence over, over the industry. The issue I have with um, with being sports and um, the, kind of the, the the deal with Comcast that that fell apart is that Comcast was saying that they don't have faith that being sports will have La Liga in two years. Well, a- again, we don't have faith that Fox will have Bundesliga in two years. We don't have faith that NBC will have the Premier League in in, in two years. We don't have faith that you mean that that ESPN will have M- have MLS in two years. So those things can the, the rights contracts can can go and move and change uh, once they end. So so being sports is in a difficult position where they have to have mass dis- distribution. They have to be on the sports tier packages um, that are that that they're on the same as NBCSN or Universal or others. Because without that, it's very unlikely that they'll be able to renew with La Liga. So. So in many ways, they're stuck in a corner where they're, they're trying to fight to see if they can get that because that's probably their only hope of having La Liga renew. Yeah, uh, but we have to remember BN is a, is a uh, channel that they've tried to diversify, right, with, with, motor race, uh, with uh, motorcycle racing, with some auto racing, with some tennis. College football. Tournament cutter, right. uh, and Conference USA college football. But they're, they're essentially a, a, a channel that's 
uh, down to one blue chip property, right? So the other other channels you mentioned, FS1, no one's going to drop FS1. No cable system is going to drop FS1 if they don't have the Bundesliga. Quite frankly, that uh, 99% of the cable viewers in the country wouldn't care. They wouldn't notice. Um, uh, same thing uh, with with the Premier League in a, in, in a little you know different way with NBCSN. If they lost the Premier League, yeah, it would be a bigger deal because there are more people who are interested in the Premier League than the Bundesliga in this country, but they have other properties. Uh, same thing with ESPN, with Major League Soccer, you mentioned. They are essentially a, 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 a channel, like Fox Soccer Channel at the very end, which is down to one lucrative property. And once Fox Soccer Channel lost that one lucrative property, the channel was gone within eight months. Um and shut down. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, the way we have to view BN. We have to very much view it in the context of what happened to Fox Soccer Channel. Now, Fox was smart. Obviously, they've got more dynamism than Al Jazeera does in the U.S. market. They were able to transition Fox Soccer Channel to an entertainment channel, FXX, uh, which is now in about 70 million homes. Um, they were able to use that 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 uh, mechanism. But I think it's more similar to that, Chris. Uh, and again, I'm very sympathetic with BN, but we just have to be realistic and and honest about this situation. Um, yeah. They're down to one property. It's a property that, yeah, we say among soccer fans, it's very popular. But in the bigger world of, of sports rights, in the bigger world of um, sports fans, it doesn't mean that much, and especially considering they get to see um, these teams on uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid and Atleti on, on TNT and on uh, – um, Univision in the Champions League. Uh, I, I think they're up against it, really. For sure. <laughs> I think they, I, For sure. I, I, and I, I don't like Com- the way Comcast and AT&T slash DirecTV have handled this. But at the same time, I don't think I don't think BN was going to be long for the world anyway with these these uh, unless they were able to diversify their portfolio of sports rights now maybe it's because of the monopolies they haven't been able to get their hands on more things and right. if that's the case i think that needs to be explored further that angle well, um, well as we go on i mean that's the thing with being sports is there's there's been a lot of obstacles placed in front of them that they have no control over so comcast uh broadcasting being sports in in sd standard definition instead of hd that that's that's for a lot of a lot of soccer fans that's a deal killer yeah. Uh, having not having access if you're a Comcast subscriber, not having access to be in Sports Connect, that's a deal killer because that prevents you from accessing the majority of the content that that be in Sports has. So all those, you know, when they used to have Serie A, all the Serie A games, all the Liga games, etc. So I, I feel for be in Sports in terms of yes, it's a difficult situation. But I'm not sure what, what what else or what different they could have done. I mean, they tried to. I mean, they had Copa America rights. They had uh, rights to the um, the U.S. away games. Um, they've had African uh, Cup of Nations. Uh, they've had lots of friendlies. They've had they've they've done everything that, that a lot of other uh, broadcasters have done. South American qualifiers that you mentioned, I think. No, did. yeah, yeah, Conmebol, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah that, those are huge games, uh, massive that's games. Deal. That's a big, big deal. I mean, think back to like what uh, November on that final night of World Cup qualifying. How many games were on BN Sports that night? I mean, there were all the Conmebol qualifiers, all the final games of the Concacaf qualifiers for the World Cup. It was you know, incredible the amount of games that they had. So I, I think they've done, they've made mistakes along the way. The biggest mistake I think is being Sports Connect. That was really, you mean, if they had a much more stable streaming products that they could actually say, you mean, you know, with Comcast now, okay, Comcast subscribers, um, yeah, you've lost being Sports, but you can subscribe directly to our streaming product. Uh, that's you know something like NBC Sports Gold, but it's something more stable and more reliable. 
um, than what um, well than what being Sports Connect is is today. But I'm not so sure what other things they could have done to actually still be in, in, to be in a better position than they are now. Uh, a lot of it is down to the way that the industry is structured, uh, the way there's monopolies kind of really kind of uh, basically forcing um, their hand and putting being sports into a very difficult position. But yeah. All right. Let me move on. Last uh, comment from one of the listeners. This is from Jeff. I says, I, I listened to the podcast. Why didn't you ask the guy from being sports when they were going to finally fix their streaming service? It's utter garbage and makes them look amateurish. Uh, it is one more example of how badly they are viewed by both cam- uh, carriers and customers alike. Uh, them wanting those who have lost this service, uh, Comcast and AT&T subscribers, to complain to these providers on their behalf is the height of schutzbar. You should have discussed all of this with him, an opportunity seriously lost. And that's a good point. I, sh- I should have asked a question. Um, I, I, I forgot to ask that, that specific question about being Sports Connect. Um, I can probably guess what they would have said about it, but but yeah, it's it's definitely a, a good point there from Jeff, and, and goes to what we've been saying about being Sports Connect being really kind of the the Achilles heel for uh, being sports. But uh, no updates, by the way, listeners, in terms of uh, Directv or Comcast um, or Directv Now or AT and T Uverse. Uh, it looks extremely unlikely that uh, any deal between Comcast and being sports. Uh, is going to happen at any time in the future. So if you're a Comcast subscriber uh, holding out hope that uh, a deal will be done with being sports, it's very unlikely. So I would recommend you look at other options, other cable pr- providers. Uh, DirecTV, I mean, that's that's something that DirecTV positions themselves as the, the leading satellite provider, the, the satellite provider that has the most am- amount of soccer channels and soccer coverage. So a deal could happen in the future perhaps with DirecTV, but... I haven't heard anything yet. Yeah, and so there have been people who have been asking me the last few weeks about this, and BN has done a good job of ratcheting up awareness, uh, at least in South Florida. I've seen billboards even in Miami uh, to this extent. Uh, Fubo and Sling are, are where you have to go. I mean, try, you know, we co- go to worldstarkatalk.com. You can look at all of the, the, the legal streaming options uh, to get you BN and, and, and price shop and compare and see what, what's best for you. But that's really where you're at. I mean, I do think that, um, and I, I understand being ratcheting up pressure on, on Comcast and Uverse and, and DirecTV, DirecTV and Uverse, same thing, uh, AT&T owned. But um, in the meantime, and, and if you want to participate in that, that's fine. But in the meantime, I, I would make the contingency of getting something else where you'll get these, where you'll get the end sport. Okay, next up, Kartik, we have an interview with Stuart Holden from Turner Sports slash TNT slash BR Football slash Fox Sports. So we dive into discussing uh, his role for working for Fox Sports and uh, Turner Sports and what that's, what's that like, as well as uh, diving into the Champions League coverage that we can expect to see on television sets around the country starting the week of September 18th. So let's go ahead and go into that interview with Stu Holden. All right, Stu, well, let's d- dive right in. So the, f- the first question I have is, um, when did you sign the deal with Turner Sports and what was the reaction from Fox, who ultimately gave you permission to, I guess, moonlight for TNT while continuing to be uh, employed by Fox? Yeah, so, you know, the the, um, the Turner interest, uh, you know, it, it just kind of came 
Uh, it came before the summer, but obviously I was, I'm uh, under contract with Fox and with us losing the Champions League, uh, it wasn't something, honestly, that, that progressed until after the, uh, after the World Cup. And we sat down with, with Fox and uh, made it very clear that, you know, this was something that I was excited about, that potential opportunity, uh, you know, and then also continuing my work with Fox. And I'm, I'm really uh, happy that we were able to work it out to where, um, as, you've, as you called it, the moonlighting. But, um, you know, j- just in terms of, I, I think, for my personal growth as a broadcaster and, and what I'm able to do, this, was, this is a role that's a little bit different where I'm hosting and analyzing. And I think, you know, Fox realized that that, that for me was something that can continue to take me to a higher level. And, uh, you know, having done the World Cup and done that as an analyst and, you know, been part of the biggest event in the world and, you know, called the World Cup final, it, it was all... You know, it was all happening at a very good time for me personally and something that I felt went really well. And now something that, you know, I've been re, really energized by, um, you know, being a part of uh, Turner's Champions League coverage with uh, BR Football. So speaking of broadcasting, you've now been a co-commentator, you've been an analyst and now a host slash analyst with, uh, with BR Football. Is it one of those roles that you enjoy more than others? I'm sure you probably enjoy them all, but is it one that you kind of thrive on? Uh, you know, it's it's a really good question because I think uh, sometimes it's it's easy to forget the differences between all of them, and you, you know the the preparation required for each role is is very different. And you know, as an analyst, uh, a game analyst, you have to go a lot deeper on different players and teams, and know the teams' histories and the tactical nuances and all the be you know the storylines. Um, you know, and then and, and then also how that happens on the field. It's something I really enjoy because you know I, I've always been a fan of the game as a kid. I've watched soccer. I've, I've been an encyclopedia of soccer player since I was, you know, eight years old playing champ man uh, with championship manager with my dad. And um, you know, so I, I really love that ability for 90 minutes to essentially take the viewer on a on a journey through a game and setting up a storyline and you know and analyzing key areas and and you know, showcasing what I think is, uh, you know, my knowledge of the game. And uh, that that's something I've really, really enjoyed, um, especially being part of the big events and doing U.S. Men's National Team. And then I, I've, I've always loved the studio work, too, because, you know, uh, candidly, I'm, we're, we're all athletes, I think, are all vain in some extent and love the on-camera aspect. And I, I really found that was something, too, after retiring that, you know, still churn some of that same, that nervous energy, the butterflies, the, the adrenaline, and, uh, you know, having a minute to, to really convey your thoughts in an articulate way and, and, you know, having the energy to be able to, you know, to show that you're passionate and enthusiastic about it in a way that's also entertaining to the viewer. So um, I've, I've enjoyed my studio work at Fox, but then also this new role for me has been um, something that I've really enjoyed because I, I have the ability now as, as a host to steer conversations and, and take them perhaps a layer deeper um, with being an analyst and provoke, thought-provoking questions and then you know also allowing my personality to, to, to shine on camera because I think when you're calling games, there's, there's less of space to, to, to interject your personality in a way that you know, I'm, I'm a very uh, lighthearted, fun, joking guy and, um, you know, that's how I was on teams. I was always kind of the prankster. And I think that, you know, this new format now allows me to find a balance of, of really being analytical and, you know, it, and it invoking good conversation around the game, as well as having fun and laughing and, 
you know, that's what it feels. It feels really nice vibe on the set. And I, I, I hope that conveys to the viewers and that it's, you know, it, it, it's 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 mixed in with the serious stuff as well as showing that we're having a good time and covering one of the greatest events in the world. Now, who would it be your biggest influence um, in that transition from um, you know former professional footballer going into uh, into the, the actual studio and being a studio talent as well as a co-commentator? Is there one person that's helped you along the way that's kind of had the biggest impact? Um, there's there's been a few people that have helped me along the way. Uh, I would say my, the 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 biggest influence has been Shaw Brown. Uh, I know you. I think yep. you, you're familiar with his work. He was a producer, um, has been in the game for a long time with, you know, with ESPN, with NBC, and he was actually the one who, when I tore my ACL in the Gold Cup final in 2013. Uh, sent me a text when I was still in the locker room, said, so are you interested in TV? And I, I wrote back and said, you couldn't have waited at least a day or two. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, it, since that point, I was rehabbing in L.A. He he uh, flew out to, to meet with me and talk with me. He got me involved with NBC, calling a game on a Thursday night, San Jose against Chicago. John Strong was my play-by-play. Uh, I sat down with John Strong for lunch before doing that and you know he said to me and i'll never forget he said if 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 you want to do this as a career you need to take it as seriously as the rest of us do and you need to work hard and you need to understand that this is this is full time this is you know you have to do the work you have to study you have to prepare you have to you know do everything you can to learn and try and be better at this and it's you know it, it was pretty full circle the fact that i was calling the world cup final with him uh, just a couple months ago, and you know, I did my first game with him, and you know, guys like Rob Stone and Alexi Lalas, and you know, Jonty Whitehead was a is a former uh, executive at Fox, and David Neal. All these guys have been really instrumental in just kind of, you know, bringing me along and giving me feedback when I need to, and um, it's something I've I've really taken seriously, and and much like a player of always trying to do little things and work on myself and watch games back and. You know, uh, you know, Shaw has been a has been the leader of that, and you know, he I, I laugh with him. I, I I dread his review calls after we do games because he nitpicks me for saying little words that he would say differently. And you know, it it is a craft, and I know I know you realize that that you know, it, it, being a broadcaster is not as simple as thinking I'm a former athlete and I know the game well, and I'm just going to get on TV and I'm just going to talk about it and I'm going to be great. There's there's a lot of fine tuning that goes with that. Absolutely. So, so so far, we've been uh, really impressed by the energy and the chemistry on set for the TNT BR football coverage of the qualification matches from uh, the Champions League. But out of all the studio talent that we've seen thus far, and there's been a lot, there's been Owen Hargreaves, uh, Charlie Davis, Tim Howard, Carlos Bocanegra. Uh, we'll see this this coming week, Aguchi uh, uh, Onoweu. Uh, Kate Abdo and Steve Nash, of course, and, and yourself. Is there one person you think that could be a standout star in the future and has a, a long, successful career ahead of him or her? Uh, well, man, you're putting me on the spot now. <laughs> I think, you know, I, I, well, I, you know, I'm, Steve Nash coming into this is, was, you know, is a good friend of mine. I think he has a major challenge or felt a major challenge himself of, well, you know, I'm a basketball hall of famer how, how do i convey because this when, when steve and i are together all we talk about is soccer you know and i think that was kind of the attraction of of putting us together was that you know bar talk soccer talk you know just just two guys hanging out really talking about the game in, in a good way and I, i've been impressed by steve because 
you know, he, he hasn't done much TV in the past. And the way he's adapted to this, and then also I don't think he's displayed any type of insecurity, then I don't think he has an insecurity over his knowledge of the game. And perhaps viewers at first would think, why is a basketball guy covering soccer? And uh, the reality is he, he's – He's as much of an uh, as a soccer aficionado as as many people, and more so than many players that I played with in terms of how he pays attention to the game. And I think that, mm-hmm. you know, that comes across. And you know, I think Tim Howard has done um, has has done work in, with NBC in the past. But the way that you know he just looks so and feels so comfortable on the set in in this type of role. And you know, the, I think what really helps, honestly, in all of this is that guys that might be new to this or have done less TV. They, they're coming into a setting which which uh, you know allows them to to feel comfortable and 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 really you know be themselves within that environment and I think that's something that uh, Turner and BR Football have been preaching from the beginning is let's you know let's not be too rigid let's let guys showcase themselves let's not let's not overproduce let's let these conversations flow naturally and I think that that's allowed for for some really great discussions on set in a way that you know people can can sit there and enjoy. Yeah, we, we've definitely seen some banter. We, we've seen uh, a lot of fun on the set. We've, we've seen soccer balls on the set. It's, it's been good so far. One of the questions I have, uh, Stu, is how open has uh, Turner Sports been to, to whether it's you or Kate Abdo suggesting ideas for, for uh, segment topics uh, or for fun things to do on the set? How, how open are they to, to new, or f- new or fresh ideas? Yeah, very open. Um, and, and that's, what's been fun for me. And, and you were asking earlier about my, my different roles and, you know, what have I, what have I enjoyed? I think, um, you know, in, in an ability to also say to, you know, for Kate and I to talk or to talk with, uh, with Travis or, and, or Peter, our, you know, the, the producer and executive producer of the show and just say, Hey, we, we think that this might play well. And because we're kind of steering traffic, we can surprise guys with stuff or, you know, we can, you know, we can talk to the producer ahead of time and come up with some ideas and some segments that might be fun. And I'm not saying that we're going to hit the mark on every single one of them, but um, there's there's a willingness and an openness to, to 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 try something new in this in this space. And you know, I I, I don't think everybody's gonna. It's not going to be something that everybody loves, um, but we hope to get to that point. And uh, yeah, so we you know, as far as pitching ideas, we have a I have a call actually in a couple hours right now with our producer where we're going to start to run over the show for next week. And, you know, if ideas come up, if they get floated around and talked about, and if we can pull it off, then, uh, you know, it, it, it'll, it'll be, uh, it'll come, come alive. So that's, that's kind of exciting for me. And if there's discussions or things or storylines that I, I feel really passionate about, we now have an ability to cover those. Now this season in the Champions League, it's it's different. We've got double headers. How much of a challenge does that present to you as a host slash analyst in terms of you mean you're going to have more on air time, you're going to have more uh, time to you mean provide pre-match uh, analysis, uh, you mean kind of the break in between the, the two games and, and then post-match. It's a long day. It's a lot a lot longer than perhaps what. Uh, what we've we've been accustomed to with Fox Sports in the past. Uh, what, what sorts of challenges does that represent? Well, look, any anyone that's an on-air talent that says you're on camera too much is is completely lying. We that's why we're doing this. We want to be on camera. We want to be there talking about the game. So you know the the extended pregame and postgame and double match window, albeit it makes for a longer day. That's why we're doing this. And and I actually love that there's an ability to to showcase two feature matches for the day 
And when I look at the Champions League lineup that we have already, um, you know, as far as PSG and Liverpool and on the first day, and then you get Real Madrid, Roma the next day. And there's, there's, it's going to be challenging at times, but there's going to be so much content and, and storylines and, and things that we can do with the, with BR football to, and and I think we have some really interesting analysts that can, um, you know, can, can talk about that type of stuff and, and to, to get deeper into some of these conversations. And so from that respect, I'm looking forward to that challenge. And it is a challenge because like you said, you're, you're filling more time. Um, But, you know, I think when you look at, because of the the champions league, we could probably talk for about six hours straight, just about that without the game. Not that anybody would watch that, but <laughs> we we have that ability. Absolutely. And and last question, Stu, is uh, it's an interesting dynamic because you have the two studios. You have the the one in Los Angeles and the one in Atlanta. Uh, so far, how has that been as far as the chemistry kind of, and tr- just the the transitioning from one studio to the next? For for the viewer, it seems seamless, but. Uh, was that something you had to work on kind of uh, in production to, to make sure that that, that flows um, kind of seamlessly? Yeah. So it's, it's new, I think for, for, you know, many of us to have that type of, uh, you know, as far as they're in, we're in every conversation together and, you know, the, the first couple of shows, so we did a rehearsal day the day before uh, two rehearsal days rather to, to kind of work on that. And then, the, the, it's been a an evolving process. I think something that was perhaps a little challenging the first two shows because we were finding times when people were talking over each other, which is going to happen regardless. Um, but there has been a a better understanding from everyone as you get more familiar of it of how it works, and that you know Carlos could bring me into a conversation and I could jump into a conversation if I have something that I want to say, and that you know you you you're engaging more guests, and then I think. With uh, with having a studio in Los Angeles, over time we'll be able to get some, you know, different guests into our studio um, that to, to talk about the Champions League and to talk about soccer and, you know, continuing adding different dynamics within that. So um, it, it has been a little different in that you know when you're developing chemistry when people are in different studios sometimes that's challenging. I think if you also look at the players, the people that we've had, and Timmy Howard's a good friend of mine. So is Carlos Bocanegra, Charlie Davies. Uh, Owen Hargreaves, I thought, did really well when he came in with us and just kind of picked that up on the fly. And, um, you know, it's something that I think can be unique. And, again, is speaking to what Turner and BR Football is trying to do, which is a little bit different uh, from the way studio shows have been done in the past. Yeah, definitely. And you have that integration between social media and BR Football and the actual television, I mean, the actual uh, show, the pre-match and, and post-match. And then on top of that, you've got the the, the set that's very kind of, uh, and, and the clothing, it's very loose, it's very laid back, it's very it's very different. And, and it, it is, for the viewer, it's uh, very appealing, kind of pulls you in, and uh, so far, so good. So, so best of luck with the Champions League coverage this season, uh, Stu, and uh, we're looking forward to it. Okay, cheers, Christopher, I appreciate it. So everyone, thank you for listening. You can get a new episode of the World Soccer Talk podcast every Thursday. Every episode is released on SoundCloud, YouTube, Stitcher, iTunes, TuneIn, AudioBoom, and WorldSoccerTalk.com. If you like the show, share it with your friends on social media and give us a review on iTunes. We greatly appreciate it. And Kartik, now that the international break is over and we're heading back into a busy weekend of club football from around the world, which will lead into UEFA Champions League football, what should they do? Enjoy your football.
Are you ready for truly hydrated skin? Meet Hyaluronic Body Serum, a breakthrough in body care from Osea. It's clinically proven to instantly increase hydration by 161%. Their lightweight, fast-absorbing serum delivers 24 hours of nonstop hydration for silky smooth skin without the sticky afterfeel. Osea's latest innovation combines the magic of their best-selling Hyaluronic Sea Serum with a new formula that's good for the whole body and five types of hyaluronic acid to target every layer of the skin. Osea is a women-founded, women-led brand that's been crafting seaweed-powered products for nearly 30 years. The best part? Everything Osea makes is clean, vegan, cruelty-free, and climate-neutral certified, so you never have to choose between your values and your best skin. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order site-wide with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com code SUMMER.